0: Now Isaiah chapter 30 is an oracle that Isaiah gave to the people of Judah and it was, a, it was a, an oracle of judgment and it, what he was saying is what I was talking about just a few minutes ago that rather than turning to the Lord in their time of need they tried to turn to human means for salvation and he talks about the folly of that and what would have happened if they just would have done things the other way. So let's go ahead and we're going to read in Isaiah chapter 30, and we're going to start with verse 8, and we'll read through here together, and I'm going to stop, and then we'll pick back up a little bit. But it says, now go and write down these words, write them in a book, and they will stand until the end of time as a witness that these people are stubborn rebels who refuse to pay attention to the Lord's instructions. They tell the seers, stop seeing visions, and they tell the prophets, don't tell us what is right tell us nice things, tell us lies, forget all this gloom and get off your narrow path, stop telling us about your holy one of Israel. Now I don't know about you, but just from that part right there, it sounds like they're cruising for a bruising, right? When we start saying, God, I don't care what you have to say, I don't want to hear it, You know, that that is something we call willful willful ignorance. And it wasn't just people in the Old Testament that do that. If we flip over to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and you guys don't have to flip over there because this is real quick and it's on the screens, but it says, For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear, and they will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. So we have this natural tendency to say I don't want to hear the truth. The truth is ugly. The truth is uncomfortable. The truth is something that I don't want to have to deal with right now. So instead we say I don't want to hear it. Anybody ever done that? Maybe you had a a child come and and they knew that they did something wrong and they start to give you an excuse and you say listen I, I don't even want to hear it. Right? We've even, I've even done that before where you have two kids and they're fighting with each other and who knows what started it. And they're both trying to argue their case for you. And it's like, look, I don't even want to hear it. I just want it to be quiet. I want the peace again, right? But we do that same thing, though. The spirit is trying to speak to us. The spirit tries to talk to us. And sometimes we turn to God and we say, I don't want to hear it. Willful ignorance never works out well for us. Jesus even warns us about that. In Mark chapter 4, he talks about people who are seeing but not perceiving, hearing but not understanding. That's not the kind of life that we need to live if we're going to walk in the strength and salvation that we all need. So let's turn back to Isaiah chapter 30 and and continue reading just a little bit. So the people have said, I don't want to hear what God has to say. Verse 12. This is the reply of the Holy One of Israel. Because you despise what I tell you and trust instead in oppression and lies, calamity will come upon you suddenly, like a bulging wall that bursts and falls. In an instant, it will collapse and come crashing down. You will be smashed like a piece of pottery, shattered so completely that there won't be a piece big enough to carry coals from a fireplace or a little water from the well." This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. Only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence will you be saved. Uh, sorry, in quietness and confidence is your strength, but you would have none of it. You said, no, we will get our help from Egypt. You will get, they will give us swift horses for riding into battle. But the only swiftness you are going to see is the swiftness of your enemies chasing you. One of them will chase a thousand of you. Five of them will make all of you flee. And you will be left like a lonely flagpole on a hill or a tattered banner on a distant mountaintop. So I want to focus on that verse 15 where this is what the Holy One of Israel says. Only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So this idea of returning is not one that's foreign to us. I mean, that's the idea of repentance, right? When you return to God, you turn away from the things that are ungodly, and you turn towards God, and you say, I'm going to do things your way, God. And there's many different ways that can look. First of all, there's conspicuous disobedience there are those people who just, they are outright rebelling against God. You can look at them and you can see that person is running from God. They're chasing everything they know how to chase, seeking answers anywhere they can find it, but not turning to the only one who's got the answers. That's what you call conspicuous disobedience. And often we think, well, I'm better than that person because I'm not living in flagrant disobedience to, the, to God's laws. But there's also inconspicuous disobedience because sometimes we're disobedient in ways and we think we've gotten away from it. We think that, well, no one knows about these things that I've been doing. And we have those secret sins sometimes that are in our life, you know, where we, instead of uh, taking our problems to the Lord, we try to self-medicate with drugs or with alcohol. Instead of trying to repair relationships, we turn to fake relationships uh, online and, and, and that sort of thing. And so we think, well, these sort of sins, I know that they're wrong, But at least everybody else doesn't know about them. So that would be an inconspicuous disobedience. But there's another form of disobedience as well, and that is simply drifting. We drift away from God. Now listen, most of us, when we first got saved, we were very on fire for the Lord. When we feel that transformation, that freedom... You know, you, you you talk to people who have just been saved and they'll talk to you about how the, the weight lifted and they're excited and they're, you know things are changing in my life. Things are gonna be better because now instead of trying to go my own way, I'm gonna to turn to the Lord and I'm gonna follow Him. But what happens over time is we drift and it's natural. We drift in every area of our life. We think we're gonna be disciplined in many different ways. We think we're gonna be disciplined in our diet or our finances. We think we're gonna be disciplined with our work, with just our schedule, you know? We try to say, well, I'm going to get up at 5 30 every morning so I have time to read my coffee. <laughs> I mean, drink my coffee, read my Bible. I guess you can read your coffee. Uh but but we say, I'm gonna get up at 5.30, and we say, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this every day. But then 5:30 rolls around and what do we do? We smack that snooze and we smack that snooze and we smack that snooze, and the next thing we know it's not 5.30, it's getting closer to 7.15. And if you don't get up and brush your teeth, you're gonna be late for work right? And we say we're going to be disciplined in many different ways, but it's so easy to drift off course. And what do we have to do? We have to constantly be evaluating our lives. We have to constantly be saying, God, is there something where, you know, maybe I was obedient for a while, but now I've drifted away from that, you know, and maybe there was something that I was doing really well with, and this was an area of victory in my life, but for whatever reason, I've kind of fallen away. I'll tell you, uh, and, and I talk often about this, about you know, my struggle to lose weight, and you know, last year I was doing really well. I'd gotten down to two hundred and seventy five pounds right before Thanksgiving. And then that's the that's the rest of the story as Thanksgiving <laughs> happened. Right? And I fell off that bandwagon. And so it's like, hey, we gotta we gotta bring ourselves in and, and when we find ourselves drifting, we have to say, God, I'm sorry right? And it's not just a, well, I'm going to buckle down kind of thing. It is a repentance because we're acknowledging the way I'm doing things are not the way things are supposed to be done. God, I'm not doing those things that you've called me to do. The things that you've told me will bring the victory and the salvation into my life. And so when we find ourselves drifting, we have to make sure that we're focusing on God, See, listen to this. Outright disobedience is never consistent with real trust in God's promises. See, God has promised us that if we will live according to His principles, there will be blessing in our life. Now, it doesn't mean we won't face any struggles, but if we will do things His way, then we are entitled to His protection and His blessing and His favor. And so when we say to God, I know you said I need to do A, but I just don't feel like it today, we're saying to God, I don't really feel like I need your promise. I don't really feel like I need your blessing in my life today. I think I'm good enough on my own. But I will tell you, that's not going to work out for you. And any, anybody who's been in a, a Christian for a while, and they've been in relationship with God for a while, you know that those times when you stop listening to God, and you stop saying, God, what do you want me to do today? God, what, what do you want me to pursue? What should I invest my life in today? When you stop asking those questions, God stops talking to you. And he stops giving you that direction. And then guess what? We end up off on a different path that we shouldn't have even been on in the first place. And then we end up paying the price for that. Jesus tells an important story about obedience in Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 through 32. He told a parable here, and I love this parable. He's talking about two brothers and whether or not they were obedient or not. He says, but what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, Son, go out and work in the vineyard today. The son answered, No, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and he went anyway. Then the son told the other son, You go. And he said, Yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Which of the two obeyed the father? Well, they replied, The first. Then Jesus explained his meaning. I tell you the truth, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him while tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. How many of us have been in that situation where we said, God, I'll do whatever you tell me to do, and then when it comes time to do it, we just don't do it. And then how many of us have said, God, I'm not going to do what you said. But then we feel convicted about it and we turn and we say, God, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have rejected what you were trying to say to me. And I'm going to do it because I realize this is the proper thing to do. So what we see from this parable is that it doesn't matter where we start, whether you start in that position of saying, yes, I'm going to obey or no, I'm not. What matters is at the end, who obeyed? Who said, God, I'm going to take my will and subsume it to your will, and I'm going to do whatever you command me to do. And so when we return to God, when we repent, when we say, God, maybe I have been conspicuously disobedient. I've been doing the wrong thing. I've been, and everybody knows it. I've had a bad attitude. Everybody at work, they can't stand to be around me because I'm just foul, mealy-mouthed, gossiping Gus over here. You know, whether it's that, Or whether it's something inconspicuous, something that you've been doing in the the privacy of your home or in in, in incognito mode on your computer or whatever it might be where we think we have some sort of secret sin where we're going to get away with it. No one knows that I didn't put my shopping cart away, right? And that I was the, the jerk that caused them to get a dent in their bumper. No one saw me do that. But whether it's conspicuous or inconspicuous, or whether we have just started to drift off course and we're not doing the things we need to do, all of this means that we need to repent. We need to return to God. All right. And what does it say? Returning to God is going to be a source of our salvation. The next thing that it says we need to do is it says we need to rest. It says in in returning and in rest is your salvation and you say, rest, that's easy. I can sleep all day long. I can take three naps, right? I can sleep until 10 o'clock and then, you know, have a little breakfast and and go back for a little more, right? I can rest. But the the reality of it is most of us don't live that kind of lifestyle. Most of us live harried, frenzied, flurried. We're running from this to that, We're constantly reacting instead of responding. We're we're having our days thrown off course because something that we hadn't planned for and there was no margin on our day, right? We we planned everything down to the minute as to what we were going to do. And the first time that something throws a, a wrench in those works, the whole day blows up because we haven't built in any rest, any margin. And there's reasons for that. Some of us, we don't want to be restful. We want to be distracted. Think about it. If you go, and you, you, you go down to Burger King, and you're going to have it your way, and I'm not going to try to sing the jingle, but I know that you all know it in your head, right? But we go down to Burger King, and we order our Whopper. We told them just how we want it, and they say, okay. And it takes two minutes to get that Whopper off the grill and into your hands. And in those two minutes, what are you doing? You're probably on your phone, right? You're probably scrolling through Instagram or checking Facebook or, or doing something, right? We can't just sit and be for two seconds. Why? Because it's, it's uncomfortable for us. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. But some of us, we desire that distraction. We have to have something to keep our mind focused off of our problems or off of whatever we're worried about. And so we distract ourselves by just going after whatever. Others of us, we've bought into this, this idea of, of hustle and grind, right? It's like, if I'm, not, if I'm not hustling 100%, if I'm not giving 110%, which I've always thought was silly. No one can give 110%. But we feel like, well, I'm not going to be successful if I don't just go, 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 go. But I can tell you, you know, what, what matters more than that is the favor of God because it's not through our own effort that we're going to find success we're going to find success when we're living a life of obedience and a life of following God and let me tell you something God wants to use you but he can't use you if you're so busy that you can't respond when he calls if God's trying to talk to you and you're so busy that you can't even pick up the phone God can't use you and I don't know about you but that's not where I want to live my life for others of us, we just we feel like we have to be so busy and, and we just end up spinning our wheels. And we can even do that when it comes to God. We can say, okay, God, I'm going to be so committed to you that I'm going to read an, an entire book of the Bible each day. Well, that's a whole lot of reading, right? And, and you don't need to read a whole book of the Bible for God to speak to you. Sometimes you can just read one verse and chew on that for that day. And God can speak to you and work in your life just from that one thing. So we don't have to go above and beyond in every single thing we do. But it's built into us. We want to. We don't want to put limitations on ourselves. But experience teaches us that there are natural limitations. You can only do so much before you're just wasting your time and you're wasting your effort. You know, uh, most of us live in, in, and work in, in cultures now that there's not an end to it, right? Because you can't ever answer all the emails and all the emails are done forever, no? Because the next day you go to work, there's going to be 18 more of them with your name on it. And sure, half of them will be spam, but they, they never stop, right? You know, but it was different back when we were all farming, right? Because if, it was, if your goal was, I'm going to go and I'm going to plant my 40 acres... Well, once you've planted your 40, you're done. You can't go plant 41 because if you do that, you're planting in your neighbor's yard, right? And so there was a natural limit to it. Now, that didn't mean that farmers got to just sit back and, and sit on their hands, but it was, I'm going to do this task, and this task has a natural end point, and then it's time to turn my focus on something else. It enforced limitations. You couldn't grow your corn in the winter, It only grew during certain times of year. So there was no point putting the corn seed in the ground in November because it wasn't going to pop up for you. It wasn't going to work. There was a natural limitation, a natural rhythm to what we did. And we worked so hard to do away with limitations. We don't want anything that makes us wait. We we, We don't want anything that's inconvenient at all. We don't want anything that makes us slow down. Right? How many of you uh, just get so upset when you get stuck behind somebody on the road and they're driving 10 miles under the speed limit, right? And yes, it's frustrating because you have somewhere you want to be. But in the end, you know how much of a difference does that 10 miles per hour make when you're only driving 5 miles down the road? right? You're, you're not even going to be that much later by being stuck behind that person, and yet we'll allow that to throw our whole day off, and we're just seething inside because we're like, this, this dummy doesn't know how to drive, and he's keeping me from getting go, to go where I need to go. But listen, if we can step back and rest in the Lord, see, rest requires two things. It requires discipline, and it requires trust. You say, well, what do you mean it requires discipline, and it requires trust? Well, first of all, if you are going to rest... It requires you saying, I'm going to build in some margin into my schedule. That's part of why God told us to have a Sabbath day, right? You shouldn't have to work seven days a week. And he said, I want you to schedule your work in such a way that where you have at least one day where you can get your mind off of worldly pursuits, and put your mind on godly pursuits, and instead of running yourself ragged, you're going to allow your body to recuperate, and instead of running 24-7 and wearing yourself thin, you're going to stop and you're going to say, I need to relax, I need to recharge, I need to do something to allow my body to get into a natural rhythm. So that takes discipline because you have to then say, no, I'm not going to do that. And when the boss says, do you want to work that seventh day of overtime? And you think, whoa, you know, another eight hours worth of overtime. That's a lot of money. That'd be a lot of money in my pocket. And I've got that car repair that I've got to do. And I, or I've got that Christmas credit card bill that I've got to pay off or whatever. And we think, man, that would be so good, but that's not going to be healthy for you. It's not going to be good. And And when you choose to do that, when you choose not to rest, you're saying to God, eh, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm pretty sure he knows what he's talking about. I mean, he made you. He knows how you work. He knows what makes you tick. And he knows that you need some rest. So it takes discipline. And then the second thing is it takes trust. Because trust is saying, God, I know I could go out and I could work seven days a week. And that would give me more resources, more money that I could provide for my family. But if you say, God, I want you to rest. I want you to take some time off. Then I'm trusting God that what I have will be enough so to be able to rest we have to have both discipline and we have trust and that's that shows that we truly trust what God is saying and what God has asked us to do so in the returning and in the rest that's going to be our salvation and now let's move on to the next part the next step is quietness that one's a hard one too quietness is hard because we all want to run our mouths now some of us have a little more of a motor mouth than others right but it's hard to just be quiet sometimes there's a a web comic that i love and maybe some of you have seen it before but if jared can throw it up there i love this this picture here uh and this uh the the title of this comic is is duty calls and if you can't read it there it says are you coming to bed i can't this is important what someone is wrong on the internet. I'm telling you, if if your goal is to fix everything that's wrong on the internet and to fix everybody who's got a a wrong opinion, you'll never stop, right? Guess what? It's not your duty to fix everybody's opinions on the internet, right? There has to be a time when we realize, hey, it's better to just keep my mouth shut because it's not going to make any difference. That fool is still going to be a fool when I'm done talking to him. We're going to talk about that a little more later. But the point is is, it takes discipline, and we, it, it's hard to li- live into that quietness. See, we don't always have to argue our case when we have God on our side, you know? There could be people who say, you know what, you're a Christian, you say you follow Jesus. I think that that is the dumbest thing you could possibly do. You're wasting your life, you're wasting your time by living in obedience to uh, Sky Daddy up in heaven, right? You, you hear them say those types of things and they're trying to get under your skin. They're trying to get you irritated and try to make you feel foolish for, for living your life for a higher purpose. And guess what? Sometimes you don't even have to argue with that person. You can just know in your head, hey, they're not right. I know God's real because I've experienced him. I've encountered him. I've had conversations with him. He's done miraculous things in my life and for my friends. And so we don't always have to argue our case because we have God on our side. How many times in scripture does it say, don't worry about the battle because it doesn't matter how many soldiers you have. You've got the Lord on your side. There's no army that's big enough. To overcome god and so we can have that quietness that peace because we understand that we're with god but quietness is also unsettling for us because we're just not designed for it now some of us are more introverted some of us are more quiet and we we can have those internal thought processes and and we don't necessarily need things going on all the time but there's some of us if you don't have some noise going uh you know or if you don't have something going at that time we start to feel uncomfortable In fact, this is a famous interrogation technique for for police officers. A lot of times they'll throw you in a room and they'll leave you there for a long time and there'll be nothing going on in that room. It's just blank walls. There's not a TV. There's not even a light beeping on the camera, right? They want it completely boring. They want it completely still. It makes you uncomfortable. And then when they come in to interrogate you, instead of peppering you with question after question after question after question, they'll ask you one question, and then they'll just be quiet, and they'll let you try to make up your story, and they'll let you tell one lie, and then they don't respond. They just say, sit there, and they don't, they, they don't say anything, and you feel uncomfortable. And so then you feel like, well, I need to add another detail, and I need to add this detail, and add this detail, and eventually, before you know it, they let you hang yourself because you were so uncomfortable with that quietness. We don't like it. Sometimes it can be so quiet that it can cause us to panic. There were studies done of of these um, young people, and they took these uh, young people that had been raised in the city, they'd been raised in the projects, and they were taking them out into the forest... And they were doing these camping retreats because they said, you know, these people have lived in the city all their lives. They've never been out in nature. They've never been out among the trees and the birds and and the wind and all of that. And so they would take them out into this new environment and they'd say, this is going to be an awesome experience for them. And these children would freak out because they couldn't handle how quiet it was. Where are the sirens? Where are the cars honking and beeping? Where is, is all the bustle and the noise? And when it got, it was so quiet out in nature. And if you know nature, it's not always quiet. You know, you might hear a little rustle in the leaves. You might hear some birds chirping or whatever. But in their minds, they became so panicked by this idea of, I don't know what's out there in the quiet, that they would just freak out. And so they had to do it a little differently. Instead of going all the way out into the forest, they, would, they started doing the camps like in a city park instead. That way it's like it would still have the city noises going. But that, that quietness is uncomfortable for us. And yet, quietness helps us out. Proverbs talks a lot about that. It says, "If you will just be quiet, if you will keep your mouth shut and watch and listen, it's going to do three things for you. Proverbs 10:19 says it'll help you avoid sin, because the more you run your mouth, the more opportunity you have to say the wrong thing. right? And so uh, just by being quiet, we can avoid sin. Uh, uh, Proverbs 11:12 tells us that if we will be quiet, we will gain respect. People will deem us wise if we will just keep our mouth shut. It talks about when a fool is trying to argue with you. Don't argue back with them because you've lowered yourself to their level. And so they used to think you were smart. They used to think you were wise. But then they see you getting into an argument with somebody that they know is completely wrong. And so now you've lowered yourself to that level. So Proverbs tells us that if we want to have respect and avoid sin, be deemed wise and intelligent... Sometimes we just need to be quiet. And that goes, that, that's counterculture. It's, it's counter to our thinking. We think, oh, well, you know, the smart people, they're going to have a lot to say because they have a lot of knowledge. But sometimes knowing when to say what you need to say is what we need to do. I was reading uh, this week and uh, I, I, was, I knew I was going to be talking about quietness and I found this one verse and it just made me laugh out loud when I read it. Job is arguing back and forth with his friends and if you know the story of Job, they're arguing about the nature of suffering and why some people experience bad things even when they're good people, even when they're righteous people. And at one point the, the, they had been telling Job, you have to have done something wrong you have to have done something where you've received this as a, the, these circumstances as a form of punishment. And, and I love this verse, uh, Job 13, 5. He just turns to him and he says, and in this translation he says, If only you would shut up and let that be your wisdom. <laughs> because he said, you're just wrong and you're just running your mouth. You're just spouting nonsense. You need to be quiet. And if you would be quiet, that would be the wise thing to do in this situation. Quietness allows us to hear. Quietness allows God to speak. God can't speak when we're distracted. God can't speak when there's constant uh, stuff going into our ear. You know, uh, that's one thing as you get hearing loss, you know, as as many people as they get older, they'll get hearing loss. And one of the hardest places to, to hear is in a noisy environment, say in a restaurant where there's multiple conversations going on. And it's not that you can't hear the noise coming in, but it's that your brain is having trouble picking out what are the important things and what are the things I need to not listen to. And yet we have to do that constantly because we've got noise coming in all the time. We've got people telling us what we need to do. We've got the news telling us what we need to do, and we need to learn how to tune out the things that aren't godly, and tune into what God's saying. Um, you know, it's it's just one of those things. Quietness allows us to hear. It allows us to hear God, and it also allows us to hear other people. Sometimes. In, in our relationships with other people, instead of trying to solve their problems for them and try, instead of trying to, to speak and give our responses, sometimes we need to be quiet and let people say what they need to say. You know, that's one of the tricks that therapists use when they talk to you. They don't want to give you advice because they realize that you're far more likely to follow through on something if you've come to this realization for yourself. If someone from outside of you says you need to do A, B, and C to fix your problems, you might do it and you might not. But if in talking, and they, all they do most of the time is they just sit and they'll listen, and every now and then they'll ask a question to kind of help clarify your thoughts and lead you down a certain path, but they want you to come to the realization that, listen, it's because I did this that my life isn't working out, and so maybe I need to try a different tack the next time. So when we're quiet, it helps other people as well. Learning when to keep our mouths shut. Um, many of you know Maya Angelou, the famous poet, memoirist, and civil rights leader. I love this quote from her. She said this. She said, I've learned that people will forget what you said, and they'll forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Is there a better feeling than knowing that I poured my heart out, I told somebody something that was bothering me, and they heard me. They listened to me. And so that quietness is what we need. We need quietness not only for our relationship with God so that we can hear from Him, but we need quietness so that we can hear from other people as well. There is wisdom that comes from community. That, that's the reason why God doesn't tell us, go read your Bible by yourself and that should be the only way you study the Word. No, he tells us to read it in community, come together, study the word together, hear a message together. That way, if we misunderstand something, we've got a buddy next to us that can say, hey, I think you're misreading that, or I think you're misunderstanding it, or, or even just saying, yeah, that's your perspective, or that's your interpretation of this passage, but let, you, let me give you my viewpoint. You know, one of the things I love about our Wednesday night Bible studies is that we will, it's a little more conversational than a sermon, a Sunday sermon, because we'll say, you know, well, what do you think about that? Or, or, you know, does this prompt any thoughts for you? And I love on Wednesday nights where people will raise their hand and say, well, yeah, this reminds me of this. And it made me think of that. And I get a whole different perspective or a whole different take than what I got when I was preparing my study notes. I love that and and all of that comes because I'm willing to say well what do you think about that and then shut my mouth and listen see our brains work so fast that many times before the other person has even stopped talking we've already thought of what we're gonna say back and if you're already thinking of your response before they're even done talking you haven't truly heard what they said in the first place so we need to learn how to build in some rhythm and some pace so that we can be quiet and we can hear from God and we can hear others. And in doing so, that tells us, when, we, when we're quiet and we let other people speak their part, that tells them two things. It tells them that they matter and that their opinions have value. And so many people today are going through this world in pain because they feel like I don't matter. They feel like my opinions don't make a difference. They're not valued. Nobody cares what I think. Nobody cares how I feel. And so we need to learn how to be quiet for ourselves and for others. And it says that's going to be a source of our strength. The last thing is confidence. Confidence is trusting the process. So many times when we start doing something, it doesn't look real great. Anybody here ever tried to build or create or make something yourself? And when you're first starting, it's really rough, right? You, you're just getting started. You know, and, and as you continue to trust the process and you keep working through that, that mess, that chaotic lump of stuff looks really bad at the beginning. But as we continue to work it and we continue to trust the process, it turns into something great. When I was in college at Lee University, they had this house that they had bought that was just right next to the, to the campus and they turned it into the art house. Right And in the art house, they had what used to be a bedroom, and it became the painter's studio, right? And so they'd have canvases set up. And in another room, it was the clay room, and so they had the, the, the pottery, uh, you know, the, the, the spinning wheels and the kilns and all of that. And then uh, in another room, they had the, the sculpture room, and there were, I mean, even like welding machines, where people could weld metal together, all of this in what it used to be some family's home, and they'd turned it into an art house. And I worked as a security guard, and part of my responsibilities at, at night was to go around and jiggle handles and make sure everything was locked up. Sometimes I'd find something unlocked, and I'd have to go in. And I loved going in the art house, and you could see that art in progress. And sometimes it looked like a hot mess, right? You'd go in, and you'd say, what was this person thinking? You know, I, don't even, I can't even tell what this blob is on this canvas, or I can't, that lump of clay just looks like a mess. But you'd go back a couple days later and you'd see how they had continued that process. They'd continued working on it and something beautiful came out of that. Confidence is saying, yeah, it might look ugly right now, but I'm trusting the process and we have to learn how to do that with God. One of the things I love about my TV is when I turn it on, i figured out a way so that when I turn it on, it goes to the Bob Ross painting channel. But no matter what I'm watching on my TV, when I first hit that power button, before I pick out what I'm watching, Bob Ross is on there with his smooth little voice just talking, right? And everybody knows Bob Ross, right? And his famous quote, we don't make mistakes, right? We just have what? Happy little accidents, Right? And, you know, if you talk to uh, an art critic, they'll tell you, you know, Bob Ross was no great artist, right? The the, the art he created isn't groundbreaking in any way. The techniques he used weren't, you know, they weren't mind-blowing or anything. And yet, through his program, he gave a lot of people confidence to try to do something, try to create something that they never would have done on their own. He said, here, let me just show you how to do this. We'll slap a little white on there, a little Van Dyke brown, right? A little cadmium yellow. And before you know it, you've got trees and bushes and, and barns and all of them are your friends and they all like you and they love you and you can, you know, you can enjoy that beauty. And so in, in allowing them to, or walking them through that process, he unlocked a lot of hidden talent in people. People who would have said, I can't paint, I'm not creative, I can't do this thing. He unlocked talent and he uh, contributed to a lot of beauty being in the world. People who probably thought, well I shouldn't even pursue art because I'm no good at it. They probably said, well, hey, now I can give it a shot. And so what, what was the difference there? He told them, listen, just trust the process. We're going to get through this. And even if we make a mistake along the way, it's okay. We'll incorporate it in and we can keep trying. Well, that's the, difference. That, that's the way it is with our, our walk with Christ. Sometimes we make a mistake. Sometimes we make a misstep. Sometimes God calls us to do something and we don't do it. We don't answer that call. Or sometimes we, we do things and we think we're doing it the right way. But in our imperfection, we end up making, you know, making a big mess out of things. And so, you know, but if we will just trust that process, God has a plan and he's getting us there and we just have to be patient and wait for that to happen. And this is another sermon, but Bob Ross also teaches us another important lesson, and that's when one of your paintbrushes isn't cooperating. You just get it in the water, and you beat the devil out of it, right? So sometimes when things aren't working in your life, you just need to get it under the blood and then beat the devil out of it, right? But again, that's a whole other lesson or a whole other sermon. But listen, confidence... We know when someone's confident, right? You can just look and you can tell from their body language if they're confident or not. Because if they're hunched over and they're like this, you know, or they're doing this, right? We, we know that that person's not confident. But when someone walks in the room and they've got their shoulders squared, head held high, and they might feel as scared as anybody, but they're, t- they're communicating to you through their body, I'm not afraid, I'm gonna be here, I'm gonna show up, I'm gonna be present, I'm gonna do what I need to do. Confidence is the opposite of despair, of fear and anxiety and our enemy wants us to operate out of those emotions and instead of uh, instead of confidence why does he why does the enemy want us to operate out of despair fear and anxiety because he can leverage that against us he can and other people if you are responding out of fear and anxiety they can leverage that for their own benefit they can take advantage of you because you're afraid of something you don't believe me on that look at the news Look at the news. How many times on the news are they trying to make you afraid of something, right? How many times are they trying to tell you about something bad that's going to happen? And granted, we should keep up with the news. And and it's terrible to read about things that happen, Earthquakes in Haiti or or attacks in Ukraine. And it's terrible to hear about those things. And yes, we should try to make a difference in uh, in those instances when they come up and there's something that we can do. But most of those things never touch our life. So why why is that constantly put in our face? Why is it always the negative things that are put in our face? Because if we're afraid that can be leveraged, politicians do it all the time, right? How many of you have been told that if you vote for the other guy, they're going to come and get your kids, right? You know, they, they, I'm going to get you so afraid that you are going to vote for me so that I can have power so that I can have influence. The same thing with, with, um, with uh, corporations, right? They'll tell you that if you don't buy our, our product, if you don't take our medicine, you're not going to have a good life. They want you to operate out of that fear and that anxiety. And the Lord doesn't want us to live our lives like that. He wants us to live a life of confidence, how do I know that? Because every time you look at the Lord in Scripture, when He comes and He talks to somebody, He'll say, listen, I'm, I'm asking you to do something for me. I'm asking you to step out in faith, but don't be afraid. I'm going to be there with you. If we know that we've got God on our side, it doesn't matter how we feel. If the musicians want to come, we're getting close to the end. But one of the best examples of this is Deuteronomy thirty-one six. Moses is getting near the end of his life, and he calls in. He calls in Joshua, and he says, "Joshua, I want you to prepare. There's a leadership transition getting ready to take place. I'm getting ready to leave. I'm, my my time here is almost over, and you're getting ready to be the man. You're getting ready to be the one who has to make the calls. You're going to have to lead the Israelites into battle." Right? Moses had 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 to lead into battle some, but not like the conquest of Canaan that that the Israelites were facing. And so Deuteronomy 31.6 says this, Moses tells Joshua, Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified or afraid of them. For the Lord your God is the one who will go with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. And so that was the message of Moses to Joshua. I'm getting ready to leave you, and I know you've always had me to help show the way. you're getting ready to be the dude don't be afraid and then even after moses died uh god came and he spoke it says that the lord himself came and spoke to joshua and here's what he said in joshua 1 9 he said haven't i commanded you be strong and courageous don't be afraid or discouraged for the lord your god is with you wherever you go it's the same for us today. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. So everywhere we go, every situation we face, we're not facing it alone. So we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to have despair because if we relied on ourselves and if we relied on our own resources and our own power, yeah, we would, we would be in our rights to be despair, to despair over those situations because we can't fix everything that's wrong with this world. But we serve a God who's bigger than any problem. And so what will be our strength? Our strength is in our quietness and in our confidence. Let's go back to that Isaiah chapter 30 verses 13 and 14. And this is what God says to those who are rebelling. He says, this iniquity of yours will be like a crumbling gap, a bulge in a high wall whose collapse will come in an instant. Suddenly, its collapse will be like the shattering of a potter's jar, crushed to pieces so that not even a fragment of pottery... And I'm reading the different translations. So what's the next uh, verse here? It will be found among its shattered remains, no fragment large enough to take fire from a hearth or scoop water from a cistern. So how many of you at some point in your life have felt... A little blown out and bulging and I'm not just talking about after the Thanksgiving dinner right where we we've we've undone our belt and we're going to put on our comfy pants our sweatpants and we're just going to you know live in that gluttony for a few minutes I'm not talking about that but what is it when you see a wall that is bulging and it's sagging what's that going to tell you that wall is about to come down And there are times we feel like that in our lives. We feel like, ooh, I'm not as strong as I need to be. I feel there's a a place of weakness in my life. I feel like you know, all it would take is is one little misstep and everything's gonna go, everything's gonna blow. Right? So sometimes we feel that, we feel blown out, we feel bulging, we feel on the, the edge of collapse. Sometimes we feel like our life and our dreams are like that pottery that it was talking about. It's been smashed. And even a broken pot can be used but it says it's going to be smashed so small you can't even use it to scoop up some coals out of the fire you can't even use it to scoop up a little water out of the cistern it's going to be so completely destroyed that you feel like it's no use at all and sometimes we feel like that about ourselves god i'm i'm too beat up i'm too hurt i've had too much go wrong in my life i've had too many things that didn't play out the way i'd planned or i'd hoped for them to do and so when that's the case we need to look to God. Where is our salvation? Where is our strength going to come from? He says it comes in returning, in rest, in quietness, and in confidence. When you're in school, they often require you to write papers. And for some of you, you love it because it's like, man, I could talk all day. Pastor Matt, he's taken some classes at the seminary, and he would tell me that when he writes his papers, his problem is that he usually writes them about half too long. You know, if it's a 10-page paper, he'll write 15, he said, and then I'll have to edit it down. That's not me. When I'm writing a paper, I'm like, what's the minimum word count, and I'm going to get myself there, right? But when you're writing those papers, what do the teachers use to grade those papers? They have a rubric. They have a pattern that they say, okay, this is what a good paper looks like. Does this paper meet those objectives? Well, we can do the same things in our walk with Christ. We can say, what does my life look like right now? Is my life one of rest and quietness and confidence? Or does my life feel more worn out and chaotic and stressed out? Right? And if we can feel ourselves and we can say, God, why am I so worn out? Why can't I seem to rest? Why even on on my day off where I don't even have to turn an alarm on, why am I just dragging myself out of bed? Why am I worn out? What What am I doing in my life that's keeping me from resting the way I need to rest? Or maybe we're feeling stressed out. You know, God, why, why, why can't I just feel confident? I know I have you on my side, so why can't I just trust that you're going to help me get through the things that I need to face today? And honestly, we got to stop worrying about things in the future too. Jesus talks about how the worry for today is enough for today. And if we can just get through the next right thing, I was talking with a friend the other day and he's facing a situation in his life. And I said, look, don't feel like you have to have all the answers. All you need to know is what's the next right thing I'm supposed to do. And if I can figure that out, and if I can say, God, today on Sunday, March 5th, what's the thing you want me to do today? And then when you hear it, you better do it. Because if you don't and you try to go your own way, I don't care what Fleetwood Mac says, it's not going to work out. So if you'll all stand with me, how do we get to that life of rest and quietness and comfort and, and, and confidence? Well, it says the first step is repentance, returning. So today, maybe you've never made a commitment to follow Christ. And if that's the case, today is your opportunity to say, I'm going to turn away from my conspicuous or my inconspicuous disobedience. I'm going to do things. I'm going to try things things God's way because the way I've been doing it just hasn't been working out for me. Or maybe you're someone who's been following the Lord for a lot of years, but you've just been drifting. And because of that, you've lost that fire. You've lost that zeal. You've lost that, 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 that excitement in your spirit. And you're drifting and you're you're doing things not exactly the way that God calls. Today's the day to say, God, I'm going to change that. I'm going to get back to doing things your way. So maybe that's you today. Maybe you need to learn how to be quiet. Maybe you need to learn how to rest. Maybe you need to learn how to put your, your shoulders back and have a little confidence and trust the process that God's working out in your life. And it's hard. It's hard when you start putting the paint on the canvas and you look at it and you say, that's hideous. But if we trust the process, God wants to make something beautiful out of your life. So if the prayer team will join me up here today, the first step is returning to God. And if that's you today, if you need to return to God, the altar's open. And you can come down and you can say to one of these prayer team members that I need to pray and I need to to, do things God's way. But if that's not you, maybe you feel like I'm doing things the right way, but I'm just having some trouble trusting enough to rest. I can't seem to stop my mind. When I lay down at night, I can't even go to sleep because I'm so worried. I'm so stressed out. I need to learn how to rest. I need to learn how to be quiet and let the Lord speak instead of just running my mouth all the time. Or I need to just be patient that is so hard. We're not good patients. Ask any doctor anywhere, right? We're not good patients and we don't have patients. And so sometimes we just need to say, God, help me to be confident enough to say, I don't like the way things are now. It's not the way I want it to be, but I'm trusting that you're going to do something great in my life. So if that's you today, The altars are open. I want you to come down here and join us. We're going to pray. If there's a situation that you're facing in your life and you just need God to move in in some way on your behalf, this is the time to come down front and to say, I'm going to join together with my brother or sister in Christ and we're going to pray about this situation and we're going to trust that God's going to take care of it. The altars are open today as they begin to sing.